Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, what does the practice of a safety expert mean to an organization that employs him or her? It means everything. If they do the job very well and figure out how to help everyone else in the organization attend to safety all the time, anytime, anywhere. And that's what Jordan Wehrman does for Spirit Airlines. He loves it. He loves this practice. It's relatively new in the lineage of his career, having once been a pilot and then for years trained pilots and developed safety programs more recently. But nearly a year at Spirit, you'll hear how, really how much uh, Jordan cares about every aspect of this business and sees it on on human terms that uh, are so impressive. And further, he's been studying organization development and change at Boiling Green State University. And you can tell how his advanced study in organization and change writ large is re- reinforces and deepens what he does with safety. So rather than tell you everything I, I heard and learned, why don't you listen and see what you think about this extraordinarily gifted practitioner, Jordan Wehrman. Well, folks, if you've been following the series, and I hope you have, you know that uh, several people that I've had recorded conversations with are affiliated with Bowling Green State University and their organization and development and change doctoral program and master's programs, one of whom is Carol Gorlick. And uh, the other day, Carol, who I meet with regularly because we have so many interests in, in common said, well, you really, really need to have a conversation with Jordan Wareham. Uh, he's he really knows what we're about, but he also has an extraordinarily interesting practice. And so welcome, Jordan, on behalf of Carol and me. It's great to have this opportunity. Uh, your practice is, I recall in our first introduction, safety, airline safety in particular. And there's a lot that goes into that. So why don't you tell me a bit more about what it means to you to carry that tremendous responsibility on your shoulders. Well, thanks, Dave. And I appreciate uh, Carol immensely for connecting us. Um, I like to say that, you know, I don't necessarily carry it on my old own shoulders because safety is a thing that everyone is responsible for. And so we all carry it on our shoulders. I agree. <laughs> so, you know, from that perspective, I don't necessarily feel like it's all on me, but I am privileged to uh, at least lead our, our culture and policy and processes and, and be responsible for those things um, to facilitate everyone else's ability to lead within our, our safety culture. So maybe that's the way I like to think about it. 
Well, I think that 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 way of thinking about it indicates that the organization development and change perspective that you've invested in uh, enriches and reinforces what safety means to you. And I did want to mention that here was Spirit Airlines, so that those of us who fly on Spirit will be very happy to know uh, that you're working on every level uh, with people because a lot of safety, maybe most of safety as far as I could see, has to do with uh, human concentration and doing things the right way. So that's great. Uh, in, how long have you had this role as chief safety officer? Yeah, so I, I've been the director of safety since uh, about June of last year. So a, a, okay. a year and a few months. Um, but but I, I'm certainly not new to the airline industry. Believe it or not, my my predominantly my history, my practice has been in training. Uh-huh. So almost 20 years in pilot training and commercial pilot training. And so safety for me, it's interesting because I always for many, many years worked with the safety department, but I never worked in the safety department. Yeah. Uh, I, I was either a, a stakeholder or in some ways a customer of the safety uh, department. And, and the safety department really is the wing of the airline that holds uh, accountability. And so certainly I was held accountable uh, by people in the safety department. But um, yeah, so I've been in aviation and, and commercial aviation, specifically airline uh, related aviation since about 2004. Wow. And I was a pilot myself uh, and I flew commercially for a little airline up in uh, Minnesota called Masaba Airlines. It was part of the Northwest Airlink system mm-hmm. that then flow, flowed into uh, Delta Airlines. And during that time, I was part of the training department and I oversaw the training on the Canada Regional Jet Series. And then I worked for many years overseeing commercial training programs on behalf of a, uh, a for-profit training provider in, in Toronto, Canada, and then, and then Phoenix. And then ultimately, my, my, uh, my last stop before arriving at Spirit, I, I was so privileged to spend three amazing years working in human factors, uh, crew resource management, leadership, and then ultimately led the pilot training department at Hawaiian Airlines out in Honolulu. And uh, wow, yeah, and that's it's a that's long way from Minnesota. Huh? <laughs> it is Minnesota. So that's where I was for the three years before coming to Spirit. I've been with Spirit almost a year and a half now, and uh, and and have been the director of safety since uh, June of last year. Do you see going forward uh, a lot more runway for uh, the work you want to do in the industry? Because I mean, you've done a lot in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I, I certainly do. I see a lot of opportunity um, for, especially for organization development and change practices to come into aviation. You know, I, I think it's really common that inside of aviation, we always we we do a pretty good job of learning from each other. Where we have opportunity is to learn from disciplines that are outside aviation and bring yeah. those 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 skills of practice into, you know, how we do our, our work. Right. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity. In fact, I'm talking right now uh, with the FAA about changing their entire methodology for how they accomplish one of their largest information sharing uh, conferences 
through the use of open space technology. There you uh, go. And I've partnered with Peggy Holman uh, to do that. And so th- that's been extraordinary because as I have taken play, taken part with the, with the program at Bowling Green and have started being introduced to some of the OD tools, it, it has really allowed me to understand where and how these might be used inside of aviation to you know, not only improve our operation, but really support safety overall, not only within my airline, but the entire uh, airline industry that uh, I've been able to connect key people with these things. And, and, and it looks like uh, we're on the path towards adoption. So that's really very cool. So that will foster change with a very different uh, conversational practice, if you will, when, when that, con- that conference has been held over years, it probably locks into a pretty standard way, you know, panels and audiences. And right. I, my my hunch is that you've uh, seen the value of breaking some of that out and giving people a chance to do a lot of crosstalk and a lot of sharing and issue focuses, but really giving people a chance to be engaged in them. Is that somewhat your vision for the FAA? I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think the FAA is, is, is a great partner because they definitely are prioritizing safety for the greater traveling public. I mean, that is, that is yeah. their mandate. Yes. Um, and, and recently they issued a call to action, and this is all very public. Uh, this is all very public. Uh, uh, after some operational incidents, they issued a call to action and they brought all the airlines together and I think it, it's fair to say that that interaction happened in a more traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as I was watching that interaction go down where the, where the intention of the FAA uh, was phenomenal in terms of, hey, we want to hear from industry, we want to collaborate, we want to share um, you know, information with each other in a way that we can you know, improve the overall system. I'm not always sure that the methodologies used are best suited for that. Uh, and so and so it struck me as a great open space moment and I approached their leadership and and they've been very open open to it. So what that's that exciting. Means, it is exciting. So what that means to me is is there is so much good that organization development and change uh, practices can make within every single industry. And, and I like to say a rising tide lifts all boats. And to me, the ultimate purpose of ODNC is to lift all the boats together. So uh, that's really why I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've taught the O for over 50 years, the organization, uh, because uh, way back, even before I met Peter Vale for my doctoral program, I, I had an, maybe even more than an instinct about how significant it is when people organize to get things done. Mm-hmm. And some of those organizations have very high missions like the one you've just described with FAA. And some of them are temporary and some of them, uh, the members intend it for them to last, but they don't. Uh, either external or internal factors or both kind of dissolve organizations. So I think one of the great reasons that ODNC is a very compatible way of thinking and discipline and and body of knowledge is that in your cases, in many cases, you're going to be working in and on an organization in order for things to hold together and to get better. 
So there's always an O in the picture. <laughs> now, development, of course, is what you're also doing internally with your various department teams and externally by putting your leadership out there to a huge federal agency and 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 getting initially some really good responses that's um that's great and then the c change uh when i taught leadership and management for years initially and then throughout we said there's really hardly any reason to have managerial positions uh, other than continuity but there's never a way you can do without leadership because it's always about change. This is something Peter Vale wrote, we put in our conjecture. It's always about change. So you have to find when change is happening, the people within your system who are closest to that change as early as possible. Mm -hmm. And you've got to make sure there's no impediments to them being able to voice <laughs> without retribution what they see so now i'm back in your court it, that that's to me that c which has got to be constant in airline work is uh, a real um beacon if you will for your imagination and your intellect yeah so what's interesting about airlines um is if if we were if we were really doing our job well and i believe we do in many regards, we would be listening to the front line. So the change would actually be originated from the individuals in the operation. And if I think back to, you know, you may, you may have heard some organizations refer to themselves or, or refer to a particular industry as high reliable organizations or high reliability yeah, organizations. Absolutely. Um, and certainly an airline uh, should and, and would fit within that category. But, you know, one of the tenets of a highly reliable organization, and I should mention there, there is some, some philosophical uh, discussion right now about whether or not, you know, it, it, it is truly an HRO in, in terms of does that exist or really is it the principles that under, underpin an HRO that then create reliability, which is kind of similar to a discussion I have around safety, whether safety is a value or if safety is an outcome. But one of the principles of achieving high reliability is that you're listening consistently to your front line yeah. and, and, and that you've created a channel of feedback. So if I think back to uh, my days at Hawaiian, I actually was in charge of the operations manual. It's not common for the training person to own the operations manual, but in my case, I did. Um, and one of the things that we did there, which was very, very interesting, is we put a QR code in the front of our manual. And, ah. and we basically said, if you have any feedback or recommendations for change, or if you have any recommendations uh, you know, uh, of a procedure that may not be working well, or if you think there's something in the manual that, that simply isn't addressed and, and you need further guidance or it needs to be clarified, whatever you need, send us um, your message on this QR code. It had it had never been done before. I I I think it's brilliant. Did you get did did, did they use we did. it all the time, all the time we did. And and what really uh, when it really started to take traction was when we would start to put out manual revisions and people could That's see that the material that had been and revised so, and, and so for, for was directly related yeah, to you absolutely should be involving the stakeholders right. if you're doing top-down change but in an organization like mine 
where those of us in headquarters, uh, it is certainly possible for us to be a little bit disconnected from the operation because we're not in it every single day. So the people that need to be pointing out what needs to change are those that are inside the operation yeah. that have that front row seat. And I think that's part of, you know, if I think back to kind of leadership principles, I think that's definitely kind of one of those tenets of, of servant leadership uh, where, you know, hey, how am I listening and serving to the front line in, in a way yeah. that's making a meaningful yeah. difference? If I just want to pretend as a senior leader that I have all the, that I first of all have a, a full view of all the problems, I'm, I'm absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, that now it's back on your shoulders. It's really on your neck. If you, that's, that. that's right. I mean, and, you, and then, you'd, you'd be crazy to do that. Yeah, exactly. But, but, then, but I know people do, not necessarily with responsibility for the safety of flights, but who think, yeah. you know, I, I, I think I've got it. I don't need to hear anymore. And, and then we read about that in the, in the press, you know. And, I think it's just uh, human nature, exactly. And, and then and then what I love is is that you know oftentimes the people that are close closest to the problem are often closest to the solution, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, or closest to the opportunity. And so, um, I think that's a that's a really um, important thing for any organization that is safety critical to to ensure that you're listening to that front line and making sure they're a part of your overall feedback cycle. Another thing of many that I've already learned about you and your role is uh, that you mentioned that you bring in other disciplines. Uh, you know, therefore safety isn't a singular, this is it and everything else is something else. You have, you want to develop mixes of what uh, is does create reliability and in that regard i think of uh the study i've done over decades of the quality management move, movement uh, i focused on joseph Turan, but there are numbers but basically um what a Duran or any other well-organized methodology for quality uh you don't want to reinvent that wheel it's a tremendously thought out and well-proved system. So you maybe pick this and that and see what works, but if the better you can work on your quality assurances and all the rest of the things about quality, uh, that works. And then there are other disciplines I, I am guessing that you would be bringing in to the picture. Uh, what, what, for example, are you doing with, a, with that quality discipline? Well, it's funny you ask that because uh, I, I, I largely oversee our quality program at the airline, mm. uh, it, the, the overall corporate program for quality. Uh, and the way we have it is each one of our operational divisions. So if, if you know how an airline is structured, we have, we have divisions that oversee very specific areas. So we have, we have the flight division, which oversees the pilots. We have the in-flight, which oversees flight attendants. We have technical operations, which oversees maintenance. Airport operations, which oversees what happens, uh, you know, at the airport in terms of aircraft servicing, but also uh, our, our passenger handling, or as we like to call it, spirit, our guest experience. And, mm -hmm. and so over each one of those uh, areas, we have individuals who are accomplishing quality processes within that. Yeah. And it typically can look like either um, ongoing performance auditing or in the case of our tech ops maintenance group, it can also be reliability monitoring. And so right. what they'll do is they'll set reliability targets. And then if we're for some reason not hitting those reliability targets, looking into those things uh, more deeply. 
But then what we've done is we've established uh, a system by where if we see one of three things starting to pop up in our quality data, so if we see uh, a negative trend over time, something that is systemic or something that we consider to be critical to the safety of flight, that actually gets elevated out of our quality data and comes up into our safety management system data. Right, right. Okay? And um, in some ways it replicates uh, the same intent because the quality system is also meant to provide correction, to provide accountability and correction into the system. Mm -hmm. But what bringing it up into the safety management system does is increases the, the, the visibility. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we will actually do at that point is we will do what's called a safety risk assessment against what we're finding in the quality data to determine how at risk we are in terms of severity, but also how at risk we are in terms of probability. And then we will make calculated decisions based upon those things as to how we're going to mitigate that risk down to one that we're willing to accept as a, as a company. With, with, the, with always the understanding that it is always our intention to mitigate that risk down to as low as reasonably possible. We call it the ALARP concept. Yeah, right? I like that. Yeah. Now we have yeah. to realize that flying involves risk. If we wanted to have a zero risk airline, we'd have to park airplanes, shut them off and walk away, <laughs> right? But it, that but it ruins the customer experience. <laughs> it does, it doesn't quite get you to Cleveland when you want to go there, you know, but um so there is risk in flying, just like in driving your car, just like in walking sure. across the street, right? Sure. Um, so what we do is we focus on the, that as low as reasonably possible, the ALARP concept to say, as a manager, and I'm talking in the broader sense, I have a responsibility to first not, never introduce anything into the operation that would bring with it uh, a hazardous um, uh, result. Yeah. But B, really to actively monitor what's going in on inside of my operations so that I can identify hazards and associated risk and then use the tools that I have to mitigate that risk to where it's either removed completely, which in some cases we can do that, you know, yeah. uh, or, or in the event that we're unable to eliminate the risk completely, that we mitigate that to the lowest possible extent. Uh, mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, an airline's entire future is based on its safety performance. That's right. It's it's safety performance is, is closely tied to its its brand awareness. It's closely tied to uh, you know consumer confidence in that airline. And if an airline has uh, an unfortunate accident, that can actually stick with them for many many years and impact wow. how that airline is perceived and seen. Right. I know. I know. So it is as much uh, as, and, and the most important thing is how do we keep our guests and our employees safe? Like I want everybody going home at the end of the day um, as they came to work, right? And with the ability to, to go home, provide for their family safely, be injury free, all of those things. Same with our guests. I want our guests to be able to ride every single spirit flight and go home at the end of the day, um, loving their experience and feeling well taken care of and that they got safe to their destination. Um, and so really that's, it's important for their own safety, but it's also important for the organization and you can't lose sight of, of those two things, uh, because they're intrinsically linked. You have what, uh, the, we call strategic conten contingency in you, in your role. Uh, and, and because I can't imagine anyone who is in the larger senior team of your company, ignoring you, if they hear from you 
they're going to listen. And uh, so how, you're at this about a year. How have you been able to develop the rapport and the trust so that if they hear from Jordan uh, that something is bubbling up from the front line, they stop everything and listen? No, that's a great question. Um, because I think that is one of the biggest ways a safety leader can become ineffective in a moment um, if they're not very uh, judicious, but also disciplined in their communication style. Right. Because you don't want to run up there with every little thing. What you're trying to do is develop what's strategic so that you can uh, use their time and talent much more effectively. Yes, and it's not that they're not interested in the little things, but but what what they're, you know, I find as we go up in levels of leadership, what I need to use that level of leadership for is to devote resources to holistically solve the, the, the root causes. Yes. Okay. And so what I have to do is a couple things is I have to step back and I have to go, okay, well, here are the indicators. The indicators are the events or the issues that we're having but I need to step back and really do a good job of understanding what's driving this. Right. And, and, and so really when I'm going to the senior leadership team, it is probably again out of one of those three areas. Do I have something that's systemic that's impacting our safety or, 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 or performance to a point where I'm not comfortable? Do I have something that is negative trend over time? Or do I have something that's immediately impacting uh, the, the safety critical flight? If I feel like it hits one of those things and it's at a, um, a, at a, at a cross divisional um, level and that the operational division um, is, is working to solve, meaning it's the answer is not just clearly within any one particular division, mm -hmm. then that's usually the things that we go up and, and, and talk about. But it's at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, trust and, and relationship currency. And so, and so what do you do? You have to be evidence-based. What you yeah. bring forward has to be backed up by the data. Um, and, and then you're very selective in terms of, okay, um, what am I bringing things forward? How am I bringing things forward in a way that, you know, is, is, is supporting a solution that uh, we need for the operation? Does that, does that make sense? It sure does. I mean, yeah, don't, don't just tell me the problem. Give me a, a start on the solution at any level. If someone reports their first observation is, oh, I, something's not quite right. Well, that's an alarm. But if, if you develop as you have as a trainer, their deeper responsibility is to go deep, you know, gather, be be more mindful that there, there's a there's something that's causing it. And if it's not immediately urgent to get the message up, spend a little time and do some research and come up with something uh, that that's workable and that can then make your job ultimately uh, the last touch before it goes to the senior decision makers. Yeah. Uh, and you're, I say, you're really in the catbird seat, man. <laughs> you know, but, but what it really, what I should say is this is um, I have not once had to go to my senior leadership team and talk about uh, a challenge or problem that we were not actively engaged on uh, probably at the at the vice president level, and why? Yeah. And, and so, really, more important than my ability to go to the CEO or the or or the COO or the senior leadership team is really is 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 my ability to 
work across the divisions at the vice president level mm-hmm. and engage the necessary people, broker relationships and, and, and broker opportunities at that level and, and, and below. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is as a director of safety, you have to know who you can talk to about what issue you have to be able to jump in and work with individuals up, down, across the organization um, to solve issues. And, and, and if you're willing to kind of jump in the trenches with people to solve it, um, it works out really, really well. And you, and you develop great partnerships. And so what that turns into really is as you go and brief to the vice presidents and brief to the senior leadership team, is it sounds a bit like, hey, here's what we were seeing. I've engaged these people. Here's what we're doing about it. And it, and it seems to be working out. <laughs> that sounds like very good news. I, I, uh, I'm i just uh, really impressed, Jordan, because uh, I mentioned already, I spent a lot of years teaching about organization and organizational leadership. I brought in as many of the disciplines that I found over the years that um, uh, it would be important for my, my students to learn as, as generalists. Uh, and uh, in every case, and this is with Peter Vale saying this through me, it does have to do with how, uh, I, even the word excited isn't the right word, uh, fully invested in a healthy way any particular leader is in the overall results of the organization and not just the ones that they can achieve alone. And you have that sense. I uh, I get the feeling listening to you that, you know, your spirit airlines in your head and everything that works and doesn't work, you get a sense of, and you have a, a lot of confidence in the organization relationships that you can work through uh, so that you have a lot of good days. Yeah. What, what, what I love about spirit is we have a really high degree of commitment to safety across the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts from the top and it goes all the way down through each uh, individual. And so really it's, it's, it's that commitment that makes these conversations easy. Yeah. And I, you know, I always say that, that commitment is the, is the internal motivation compliance is the external motivation because from yeah. this comes, if I'm operating from a context of compliance, I'm operating out of context of not wanting to receive punishment through enforcement action. Through, yeah, it's, it's very much fear-based. <laughs> that's right. But if I'm operating in accordance with commitment, now I'm doing the right things because it's the right way to do it. And we're moving the organization forward um, through that commitment, through that choice to the highest safety principles possible. And I have to say across the board of Spirit Airlines that we have that at every level of the organization. Um, and so that's why, you know, I, I, I feel very good that when I'm needing to partner up in the organization, I don't say manage up, I say partner up in the organization, yeah, right? That, um, that whoever I come to, to bring a, a, a concern is going to take it seriously and we're going to sit down and work through it. Um, and they know that, you know, I'm coming to them with, like I said, data and sincerity, and um, and I'm and I'm not operating from a blame context. I'm operating from a collaborative context, because really I'm here to agree to the same outcome that we both want, which is to um, ensure that we're running the safest operation possible. 
right? And yeah. so, so when you come into these conversations from that perspective and with that spirit, um, then, then I find you get really willing partners and the individuals who are there to devote the time, the energy and the resources or to direct the resources, time and energy uh, are very much willing to do that. And, and I've seen it across the board, all the way up to our CEO, where, where everybody is very, very willing um, to partner in safety to ensure that wow. we have, you know, the highest outcomes. So, wow. So that gives you good reason to come home as you have tonight for this conversation uh, with still a bunch of energy on reserve. You're, you're not whipped and burnt and uh, uh, discouraged at all. You're just the opposite. So the practice that you've developed now as a prime safety uh, resource and leader within the company seems to suit you very well. And the company itself suits your practice. <laughs> You're not in a place where, as you've said many times now, safety is, oh yeah, well, we always look at safety, but their eye is on some other prize, profit or expansion or whatever else seems to move the, the cheese. But in this case, you're in the right place at the right time and it shows. Uh, and I have one more question as our time budget is pretty much up. Uh, why did you choose, in addition to all the other things you took on, uh, to go for an advanced degree. <laughs> okay. No, that's a, that's a question. <laughs> is that what your, your family asked you? Or is that... <laughs> <laughs> no, they were not asking for it. I have three small children, so uh, it, it, it comes at a cost, I can assure you. Uh, I will give you that answer. Let me just quickly say, though, uh, there are still hard days oh, at Spirit yeah. Airlines. And, and what I find in those moments, though, and this is something that I've uh, that I that I that I routinely tell all of my colleagues is you have a choice in life to either focus on the mission or focus on the misery. And if, <laughs> if you if you keep the mission over the misery, then you remain engaged, you remain passionate about what you're doing. The second that you lose sight of the mission and you instead focus on the misery, you're in trouble. That's a great point. So for me, you know, even on the hard days when we don't feel like we're pushing things forward as fast as we'd like, and there are those days at every organization, Oh yeah. Uh, to me, it's mission over misery, and that's what supports my ability to move forward. Um, you asked about the degree. Wow, that, that's a definite mission over misery uh, story. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, I, you know, education is something that my family as a whole values very much. Both of my parents were college professors. Um, my grandfather was a heart surgeon. Uh, my dad is a lawyer. So education and, and pursuing uh, terminal degrees is just kind of part of the DNA of our family a little bit. I get it. Um, yeah, and, and so I value that and have always kind of wanted to do it. But why uh, ODNC? Well, I think that, uh, my master's was in organization performance improvement and workplace learning. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is a very, very complimentary and supporting direction. And Definitely. what I love about this is it's still in the business of performance improvement and problem solving, but it's doing it from a participation space. It's doing it from a appreciative space and it's doing it from a imagining possibilities and opportunity space. Yes. And what I find is, 
is when you're trying to do the work inside the organization and people are so often focusing on that, that misery, the ability to pull them out of that focus and attach them to a higher mission that, that you can then activate to get people to imagine the possibility of the opportunity yeah. is an important skill. It, it sure is. And uh, you'll never find a place that doesn't need that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think, yeah. but I think you're in the right, uh, definitely in uh, your your track record in, air, in the air uh, line industry is, uh, speaks uh, volumes. And uh, I just hope you, you're around for many more years however you want to play a role in the airline industry, because I might get, get on one of your planes someday. <laughs> well, I hope you will, because uh, Spirit Airlines is a fantastic airline. I could not be prouder to work for them. Yeah. Um, and I love who we are. I mean, I like to even say that Spirit Airlines is the operational development and change airline of the world. Why do I say that? Because we are really in it to allow for kids to see grandparents. We're an ultra low cost carrier. So we mm -hmm. let families go do things that no other fam that, that they couldn't have done otherwise on, on another airline because, because of our price structure and all of those things. So I say and your routes that you choose. Yeah. That's right. And I say, I say, hey, we let we let families go on vacation and we let kids go see their grandparents. And I'm so proud of that. Every time I go flying. I meet people who are first-time flyers, and and these are people that are that are that are not young people sometimes, and so so sometimes Spirit is the one that has given them the opportunity. Maybe it's because you know our fares are cheaper or where we fly to be able to experience uh, something they've never experienced before, and and to be able to be part of an organization and support our ability to do that safely is super exciting. So I, I love that's why we're here and and the. The purpose we serve in the in the industry and and um, we'll see where we'll see where things take us uh, jordan Wareham, this has been wonderful i i can't thank you enough i will thank you anyway i really enjoyed this and I, i've learned a great deal and i think our listeners will too well good i appreciate it thank you so much and uh you know, maybe I can join you again sometime in the future. I don't know if you have return guests, but always, always love a good, good conversation. I love, I love that. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast-page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book, On Practice as a Way of Being, is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice. And you'll see what I mean. Thank you.